What's up, everybody? Welcome to the All Sooners Podcast. It is Wednesday. It is August 9th. It is episode 199er. That's right. Next week will be our fabulous, unprecedented 200th episode. Brian Chapman coming to you for more. I'm John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Uh, later on in the show, of course, Randall Sweet, he's going to join us. We'll talk about OU recruiting, as he always does. I'll tell you what we got today for you guys. we got some observations from preseason training camp to get to. Ryan and I and Randall as well. We've had a couple of days out there on the pitch. Yes, the rugby pitch. That's what I called it. I'm smart like that. Uh, that's how you know OU football has gotten to the serious stage of preseason camp because they practice out there on the rugby fields. But first, Ryan, I want to dive into some conference realignment. As much fun as it would be to bring, uh, you know, practice observations and injury reports and important stuff like that, we got to talk about this damn conference realignment. This has gotten ridiculous. And you know what? It all started, Ryan with Oklahoma and Texas. And I'm going to tell you why Stanford and Cal fans, if you're mad, which I don't know if you're passionate enough to be mad about this, but uh, Washington state, Oregon state fans, if you're mad about how this has shaken out over the past week and left you kind of high and dry, uh, then you should send a strongly worded email or letter of some kind, maybe pony express since it's out in the West to one Robert Addison Bowlesby. That's right. Robert Bowlesby, Bob Bowlesby, former Big 12 commissioner, deserves your hate. And here's why. Ryan, what would college football look like right now if Bob Bowlesby would have just stood up to Fox Sports and told one of college football's two puppet masters, no, I don't think Oklahoma-Nebraska kicking off at 11 a.m. is a good idea. These programs deserve a night kickoff, and I'm going to stand in this doorway with my shirt over my head and my pants on the floor if I have to until you agree with me. What would it look like now if he had just defended his schools? Oh, uh, you know what George Klykov probably said walking into that meeting with the grant of rights? Hey, guys, stop yelling at me. The contract's the contract. You know what I mean? You know, no one has signed it yet, but you saw what happens when you sign those deals. Uh, we, we could go down a long rabbit hole. There's a lot of things that both BB and Bowlesby could have done to maybe try and uh, wipe away one of the initial rounds of conference realignment way back when the 2010s set the table for the fights that Oklahoma and Texas would have with the Big 12 Conference yep. through the 2012 to 2014, 15. And then finally, yes, it getting pushed over the edge as the TV bubble continues to get bigger and bigger with the Big 10 and the SEC, but John, the fact of the matter is programs have had hundred years to invest in themselves and make it a priority. The schools for the most part who have made investing in themselves and made athletics a, a central priority, they found a, a dancing partner and the ones that didn't either were lucky enough to be already hanging out in the SEC or the big 10 or are now looking at the Mountain West. You know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where if you, if you make value for yourself, then you, you can make good things happen. And that's what the Big 12 did. They went out and they the new Big 12 found programs that were dedicated to making value to themselves, yeah. trying to elevate themselves in Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and Houston. And then they were able to parlay that into getting programs that already cared in, in the four corner schools out of the Pac-12. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think if you know, spin it back a couple of years when the the OU Nebraska situation came out and Bowlesby came out and said, "Yeah, we're going to play that one at 11 a.m." The networks, of course, announced it, but it was Bowlesby who uh, a net, who basically the previous year had the opportunity. And you know, Oklahoma has had has been force fed a lot of 11 a.m. games. This isn't the only thing that matters, but it's kind of that one little crack. Or maybe that one little firecracker that that started that explosion and and has us where we are now. I think we'd be eventually heading this direction no matter what happened. But right now, 2023, we'd be going into this season not talking about realignment if Bowlesby and Fox Sports had come to the agreement that 7 p.m. was the, was the best way to to showcase Oklahoma. I really think it's as simple as that. Joe Stiglione was not happy. After that 11 a.m. kickoff, he worked on that game for years and years and years. 50th anniversary of the game of the century and all that stuff, right? All the pomp, all the circumstances. We're going to invite a bunch of people back. We're going to invite all these Cornhuskers to Lincoln. We're going to invite all these former Sooners to Lincoln. We're going to get them in here. We're going to have a week-long celebration. We're going to party the night before. Oh, 11 a.m.? What do you mean i got to be at the stadium at 11 a.m.? We're, we're planning on being at? No, you got to be there at 11 a.m. Kickoff 11 a.m. He was furious. So I just think that that was kind of the little push over the cliff that started this ball rolling. And if Fox Sports hadn't put him there or if ESPN had gobbled that game up or was able to at that time and say, yeah, we'll put that one at 6 or 7 p.m., I think Joe would be happy and would have been happy enough to not. Who knows what Texas would have done. But Texas and OU going to the SEC – kickstarted the Big Ten in a reactive mode saying we we need more we need more teams. We need more teams. Who can we get? Who can we get here in the Big Ten? Well let's get Notre Dame. Notre Dame doesn't want to join a conference. Well let's try again. No, they said that they're not even taking our calls anymore. Well who can we get? What about USC and UCLA? <laughs> That's never gonna work. Wait, what? They're they're returning our calls right now, right? I mean, come on. That's where this thing has gotten to and the, and the Big Ten is still rolling, man. The Big Ten is still rolling. 16 is not enough with UC, USC and UCLA. We got to go out and we got to get Oregon. And we got to go out and we got to get Washington. Then we'll be the Big Ten that we want to be. Meanwhile, Mike Slive, did you hear what he had to say? I love this from Mike Slive. Holy cow. What a what a flashback. Greg Sankey. Mike Slive hasn't been in the um, SEC chair for years now. And I don't know where that came from in the back of my brain. But Greg Sankey. Holy cow, did you see what he had to say? He said, we don't need to be in four time zones to have an appeal on the West Coast. Oh! I, I just think it's, uh, it's the college sports we live in, but I, I think for Oklahoma, it was a really, really long road. And, and I think the Nebraska was just the straw that broke the camel's back. You know what I mean? Like, when you look at, okay, the Big 12, because they lost those teams initially in the – big seismic round of realignment in the 2010s it meant that they weren't as attractive as an entity still with oklahoma and texas that needs to be on television so they were getting enough money but they had to split the deal with espn and fox fox their primary partner the big 10 what is the big 10 happy to do in november play at 11 a.m why because it's not two degrees outside big so for castiglione and the time lincoln riley you're looking at this and going hey if the sec is going to have the recruiting advantage because they're the sec 
and we're not going to make as much money as the SEC or the Big Ten if we want to stay here in, in this more central regional conference that makes sense historically. They need to throw us some bones and have some night games so that we can have our best recruiting weekends possible so that even if we're not making a ton, a ton of money from the TV deal compared to the SEC, at least everyone on campus, people coming in, flooding in, all that stuff. And then on top of all that, it's like, wait, you want to stick us at 11 a.m. as well? Peace. We'll see. Uh, and we'll go be part of the SEC. We'll go make money hand over fist. And wow. honestly, I, I don't know how Texas is going to feel about this because Texas has like set every conference they've ever been in on fire historically. But I think that Joe Castiglione and Oklahoma are going to be like, we have the most competent leader in college athletics and Greg Sankey at the commissioner level, and he's going to make all the decisions. And then it just becomes, we argue behind closed doors, up, down, vote, whatever the thing is. We just go, woo, SEC. I think that they're going to enjoy being able to just go, we can finally just run our own athletic department instead of having to keep a, a conference together with a bunch of people that care a ton about football, but not a bunch of just huge national brands. Mike's live. R.I.P. Rest in peace, sir. Uh, where, where, how does your brain work that it digs up someone who died in 2018, five years ago, as the former commissioner of the SEC? How does your brain dust off something like that when I'm sitting here trying to make a point about Greg Sankey? I don't know. Uh, must be uh, the years catching up to me, or as Indiana Jones said, the mileage. I think uh, most would argue that our brains just don't work and that that's why we do this, which that's you right. know what I is. We podcast for a living. That's why we're poor. So, <laughs> so here's where college football stands. Uh, you've got, for lack of a better word, the pack four. <laughs> I hate that. I just hate it. Washington State, Oregon State, Stanford, and Cal. Stanford and Cal need to be in a conference now. Come on. Uh, you've got the ACC is disgruntled. And they're apparently meeting about the viability of bringing in Stanford and Cal. Thank goodness. Sort of. And also SMU. I don't know if that's changed since I read it last night, Ross Dellinger's story. The Mountain West best play. Mountain West, I said. the best. Their best play is to lower their flag and raise the Pac-12 flag and hope that the college football playoff and TV networks don't notice. No, no, we're still the Pac-12. We're still, we see, flags up. We're the Pac-12. Um, let's see what else. The big 10 is now the big 18 for now. Who knows how, how far this thing's going to go. Uh, the sec standing pat with 16 and you know what, Ryan, let's, let's finish this point with this. I think the big 12 actually looks pretty cool right now. <laughs> they got Colorado. They got Arizona, Arizona state, Utah. They got BYU. I'm a big Teddy Roosevelt, Western us grand vistas kind of guy right national parks and all that stuff but i i'd be honest i don't know how good the football is going to be right yeah I, I mean at least the big 12 has a marquee rivalry now the holy war is going to step in and be the number one rivalry in the conference so yeah. shout out to them it's going to be in the 12 team playoff i mean that that's i don't know national championship good tcu made it to the national championship last year but i mean I don't think anyone else was national championship good except for if Ohio State's kicker can make a kick other than Georgia. feels like that not only has the Big 12 secured their future in a 12-team playoff, two-bid league should be most years, maybe a three-bid league if it's an up year in the Big 12 and some stuff breaks right, like the Big 10 just down a little bit, stuff like that. So uh, if you're the Big 12, you've got all the basketball you could want. Good for you guys. Don't have to watch college basketball anymore. Thank you for me. It's something I hate doing. <laughs> and, uh, and and then they, they've got good enough football, that more than good enough football to 
have a financial future. And, and again, this is a conference of schools that it may not be Alabama and Florida and all that, but you go to Manhattan, you go to Stillwater, you go to Lubbock, they actually care about football. They fill those stadiums and it, they deserve to have a future in college football as opposed to the teams on the West Coast who couldn't care less. Yeah, the teams couldn't care. They could could care less. Uh, it's the fans that uh, and the apathy and and things. The, the stark lack of leadership too um, from the Pac-12 since the arrogant situation back in 2011, 2012 when they tried to absorb the Big 12, and then a bunch of uh, hoity-toity, snooty, academic types stood up and said, "We don't want their kind in our conference." And here we are. Their their kind has now doesn't have a conference. It's um, shocking that it has turned like that in basically a decade, a little more than a decade, that it has gotten so dark for the Pac-12. And, and a, I keep hearing this 110-year-old, 107-year-old conference with all this tradition and all this great stuff going on and conference of champions and all this, right? I keep hearing that, and it's like, why has your why was your TV package so bad? Why was your conference leadership so bad? Why was everyone had such a stick up their butt about academics when everybody could see it coming 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, 20, 22 years ago when the SEC expanded, you could see it coming that money was going and TV were going to rule this thing, not academics, not baseball, not softball or name your sport, you know, gymnastics, doesn't matter how many Olympians you put in, in the Olympic games, you better have people coming to your football games and buying your football gear and uh, watching your football team on TV. If you don't, you're not going to succeed. Simple as that. Well, that, and they appointed a WTA former leader and the WTA is one of the worst run entities. ATP needs to take it over. Okay. That's Ryan's done with tennis corner, but that was Larry Scott. And then you hired the MGM executive and George Kliakov to go head to head with Brett Yormark. I've got a little news for the PAC 12 MGM runs Las Vegas. There is no other game in town. They're like competing against themselves. In New York City, you're competing against everything. You want to talk about a city where literally you can do whatever you want. And if you're not putting a great product out, then people are just like, okay, cool, I'm going to go next door. That's why Brett Yormark, he was very successful with the Barclays group and all of that. He was actually competing as opposed to everyone's buying a ticket to come to Las Vegas to participate in all the MGM stuff. And he's been aggressive and way more cutthroat. And I think it's shown. Yormark has been an assassin in this thing, literally, because uh, the conference, the Pac-12, is now dead. Uh, the, the body's getting cold. But he walked in last year, a year ago, and said the Big 12 is open for business, to which George Klepkoff, the Pac-12 commissioner, said, eh, well, that's nice that they're open for business, but we're not sure we want to shop there. Boom, roasted. No, that's not how it works. That is not how it works. Yormark came in, took a weed whacker to the Pac-12 and said, we'll take this one. We'll take this one, we'll take that one, and we'll take them as well. That's how you run a conference, not by whatever the Pac-12 has been doing. Um, I'll, I'll finish with this, Ryan. Uh, the, when the Big Ten went out and got USC and UCLA last year to get to 16, they had to one-up themselves, right, by getting Oregon and Washington. What, what value does Oregon and Washington have other than to help SC and UCLA in travel? 
not really much. Um, the, I'll tell you this, though. I got thinking about this this morning. Having to play against Ohio State and Michigan and still having to recruit the West Coast against Oregon is not what Lincoln Riley signed up for. He, uh, When he took that job, Dan Lanning was not uh, on the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, some idiot may have tried to put him in Norman prematurely by accident. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Fun times. But yeah, D- Lincoln Riley was thinking, oh, all I have to do is put a wall around California. I'm in the Pac-12. Path to playoff. Boom. Suddenly, no, no, no. You're going to have to go play very cold games in November and December. And, oh, by the way, Dan Lanning is rifling through your recruiting class as he was yesterday as, as USC is losing commitments. It's Yeah, getting flips, yeah. Lincoln has not learned a damn thing. Look at how they pursued Taylor Tatum and had no backup. Look at how he's pushing for stuff early and then not able to close. I think Oklahoma fans, uh, TBD on if Brent Venables works out and is truly the guy that can bring OU into the SEC and establish that, all that stuff. Tons and tons of questions that we'll start diving into here in a minute. But it is clear that if you just copy and paste Lincoln Riley's last two teams in Norman into Los Angeles, it's the exact same feel. OU fans were at least right on that part of it. All we need is the number one quarterback in the nation every other year. That's an actual recruiting strategy by some people. Um, I guess I guess it can work if it works. If it doesn't work, it blows up in your face. And you get uh, people like Chandler Morris and Tanner Mordecai on preseason, multiple preseason watch lists around the country, and Spencer Rattler, and Caleb Williams, and Dylan Gabriel, and all these former OU quarterbacks have been shotgunned around the country, and they're all on preseason watch lists because Lincoln's strategy was to recruit the number one guy in the country every other year. Not every year, every other year. We don't want to stack them up too high. Crazy. Did you see Caleb Williams's quotes in a 247 Sports article yesterday? Uh, no, not yesterday, no. Ah, the, he, he came to the conclusion, paraphrasing here, that physically the USC football team was not prepared for the toll that they went through, the physicality, and they wore down by the end of the year. And this year they're working toward being physically prepared to be able to play 15 games. Hmm. How many regular season games did they play last year? A lot of kettlebells being thrown around in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, kettlebells and yoga squats. Uh, how many how many games did USC play in the regular season last year? Does anybody know? Does is that information on the on the internet? I don't think it. I think it's lock and key hoof. I think they played twelve, if I'm not mistaken. Which, if you think about it, is really helpful because they're going to play twelve again this year. Hmm. They weren't prepared. Weird. Weird how that works, especially an experienced strength staff like that, that those Texas Tech teams that were known for being tough, uh, those Oklahoma teams uh, the, the last couple of years, no offensive line development. Yeah. Uh, and now that USC team, wait, you're telling me they got pushed around by Utah a couple of times, huh? Yeah, imagine that. Coming up next on the show, uh, OU Softball pull up, put out a little news yesterday. We got to get to that. Plus today was – today, this day, as we're recording, was the first day of pads for OU football. And uh, Ryan and I, we're going to share our observations from a couple of practices. We've been able to watch all that's next All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? 
Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. On Twitter, give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. I'm at John E. Hoover on Twitter. And Ryan, you can find him at Ryan, no, you can find him at underscore, underscore Ryan Chapman, one underscore Ryan Chapman. Don't forget, you can follow Ross, newly married Ross. Congratulations. He's in Atlanta right now. I think he's on his honeymoon. So, better be taking care of business. Uh, <laughs> he is at uh, Ross Lovelace. He's still doing some Thunder stuff, so he's not like, I'm like Ross. Bro, put the brakes on Twitter. Uh, and then, of course, Randall Sweet is at Randall Sweet 5 Follow him for all the re- latest recruiting news. He's all over it. Uh, our website, allsooners.com, Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Allsooners.com is free. No credit cards, no signups, no passwords. Just jump on in there and start looking. We put stuff on there every minimum during football season, minimum every four hours, sometimes every three hours. Sometimes it feels like every hour. <laughs> Like yesterday, Ryan, I think we had 11 pieces of content, 13 pieces of content. And one of those was uh, an announcement from OU Softball that they have made it official. They put a ring on it. They tied the knot with their four transfer portal newcomers. Yeah, they they made it official. We got our first look at Kelly Maxwell in an Oklahoma uniform. Um, She's... Three pitchers, Carly Keeney, the other kind of grad transfer from Liberty, then Peyton Monticelli. She's the young pitcher. She'll be basically think of it same class as Kirsten Deal as far as three years of eligibility left. And then Riley Ludlam, who's going to come in and be the backup catcher for the Sooners. And so get that transfer class done, dusted, officially sign out there. And and Patty Gasso is ready to re-rack and go again, as uh, I hope people are ready for them to try to make some more history out there at Love's Field, which Love's Field, by the way. Going up. That thing is up and humming, driving by that a couple of times here as we've been going out to practice. It's been a little bit since I've been in Norman, since the end of softball season, really. They've done a lot of work in just a short little time at Lo- over there at Love's Field. Yeah, I, I found a new Starbucks in Norman yesterday, uh, day before yesterday, and I'm like, wait a minute, when did they put a Starbucks here? Right on Lindsay Street. I didn't know. Why, why wasn't that here the previous 10 years that I've been on this beat, right? Uh, anyway, um, that would have been helpful information to have 10 years ago or 15 years ago when I needed coffee and uh, was looking for a place to transcribe uh, via the Wi-Fi. Anyway, um, I said we were going to dive, uh, kind of brush over the newcomers and move on, but Ryan, I got to ask you, since you know the team so well, did OU get everything they wanted out of the transfer portal? Did they did they fulfill every need and, and take care of every position that had a question mark? Because I'm, I'm watching uh, the social media right now, Kenzie Hansen, um, Sidney Sanders, and Avery Hodge. Hodge, yes, thank you. I was thinking of someone else named Avery. Um, they're in 
Japan right now for the world something or other games. Anyway, they're playing, uh, they're playing internationally and they're doing well apparently. Um, but I'm looking at those tweets and, and photos and stuff and I'm like, okay, so their first baseman's out there, their catcher's out there and their designated pinch runner who wants to play shortstop probably this year is out there. What's going to happen with OU at shortstop? They lost Grace Lyons. What's, what's the plan there? Yeah, I would bet, and this is not reporting. This is just stuff we've talked about. Uh, I would bet you see Alyssa Brito slide over to short. She played short at Oregon. We've seen the cannon and the athlete that she is, and you've got to be super athletic to play shortstop under Patty Gasso. And then I think there might be a little bit of open battle at third. Alina Torres, she slid over there, was able to play for Burrito. She played at Arizona State at third. Remember that game in, in that Bedlam game three where Burrito had the heat exhaustion to start the game? Torres was over there at the hot corner just fine. So I imagine that's where, where that would go. And I really do think that they filled everything that they wanted to. I think that um, Monticelli and, and Keeney, that got them an experienced veteran arm and, a, and kind of a young one that has a few more years of eligibility left to, to paper over the multiple years that Jordy Ball would have been able to pitch. And I think that Kelly Maxwell is just the, if she wants to come to Norman, welcome with open arms. If she doesn't, I think everyone would have understood how difficult of a decision that would be. So that was just like the cherry on top. Patty Gasso has four really talented freshmen that I think she's confident in those to come in and battle in the outfield and the infield. And, and so other than that, they led them to, to be a backup, some insurance for Kinsey Hansen. She's played a ton of games at catcher, but uh, I think other than that, it's going to be a lot of the same lineup that you saw last year. Just yeah. slide Brito over into the gap. For Pete? Uh, as of now, sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd say so too. No way, no way anybody's going to rise up and beat this team. Not right now. It's uh, it, one of those things of there's so much pitching, shuffling all across the country that I would really love to see about half the season play just to see what you know UCLA is doing, Alabama's all, all that stuff. Yeah, some teams you can tell they're diving into the portal and they're trying to stack as much talent as they can, which is what you got to do against to to take take down Oklahoma. But the reason I asked um, the question of of Jada Coleman and Tiara Jennings at the the championship press conference last season at the end of last season was, Hey, can you guys do this again? Um, you've known nothing but national championships since you've been here. Can you do it again? And I think they can with those two as their kind of team leaders, spiritual leaders, uh, emotional leaders, and then on the field leaders. Um, good luck trying to take down Oklahoma, especially when they're pulling out people like Kelly Maxwell from the transfer portal. Simple as that. Yeah. Plus, Two, Nicole May, Kelly Maxwell, Patty Gasso as her righty lefty one two punch once again. Patty is going to be very, very happy with what they got, especially pitching wise uh, out of mm-hmm. the world. And Deal, they're going to ask a lot more out of Deal this year. She's a left hander as well. I would I would assume they're going to ask more out of her this year. So uh she looked really good in a lot of her uh a lot of her appearances last year. So they could go lefty righty, lefty righty twice. Good luck with that, people. Good luck trying to take them down. Okay, football. You want to do some football? Football practice observations. Holy cow, we finally made it to this part of the show. (laughs) A couple of dudes sitting here bloviating when football (laughs) season is going on right behind them, right? Uh, So a couple of things that of the practice that I got to watch, you guys have been at one or two. I've been at one or two. Together we combine those, and we've been at like 16 practices so far. Maybe I'm exaggerating. Um, so the first thing I noticed was Jacob Lacey. 
He's out there. Dude's got blood clots. He's out there. They put a blue jersey on him. You know, we're talking about the defensive tackle um, transfer from Notre Dame. But they put a blue jersey on him, so no contact. But he is smacking the dummies, and he's participating in you know fitness drills up to a, up to a point. I think that's great news because uh, you know the the vibe we got during the summer was oh his career is over he'll never play again. Mm, they, they can do medical they can do wondrous things in the medical field these days. Yeah, and and like we mentioned a couple of times now, unfortunately Oklahoma is kind of familiar. The training staff at least is kind of familiar with this kind of situation, especially at that position along the defensive line. Yeah. So. I think that's why Oklahoma dipped not only to get DeJon Terry, but Phil Paya in the post-spring window. Because I, I think it was one of those things where you're like, when it's something as scary as that, who knows how, how that's going to shake out as right. far as being able to get back onto the field. So him being out there, if at some point he becomes another depth piece, if nothing else, then you've got more of that hashtag competitive depth, everyone take a drink, all the stuff. It's been said a billion times. But – I think that that, but just as a whole, not just noticing specifically, you walk out there and it feels silly and, and sophomoric almost, but the team's a lot bigger this year than it was last year when we were walking around on the practice field, John. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and go into that, uh, just in terms of uh, your observations from the uh, Todd Bates and his declaration. I think he said we, we had one 300-pound guy, now we've got five, something like that. Yeah, and, and you see it all over the place. But it's not just like, a, oh, hey, they've got five 300-plus-pound guys. And you go, oh, yeah, that wasn't that. You walk over with the linebackers, and Danny Stutzman and Jaron Kanick look absolutely built. Hassan McCullough and Justin Harrington that do their individual drill works with the linebackers. You walk over there, and you're just like, those are two just wildly different body types than really anything Oklahoma's had at either linebacker or in the secondary or in coverage. P.J. Adebore is, is huge out there as far as big and, and fast. R. Mason Thomas has looked really, really strong with that extra weight. Like, it's an across-the-board thing. When you flip that over offensively, the offensive line looks big and athletic. Like, Walter Rouse is just a, a massive guy. And, like, even maybe guys you wouldn't expect. Jaquez Petaway looks just really strong. Like, I, I don't know what I was expecting him to look like, knowing that he's – kind of a burner, but he is not what I expected in a good way as far as being able to kind of deal with the physicality and stuff. And so it just feels like across the board, Oklahoma has gotten bigger. And I know that Brent Venables on Friday, one of the things that he talked about was something he wanted really bad was for this group to be faster as far as acceleration, deceleration, quick burst, stuff like that. And he basically said, not only did they get faster, he saw gains that he's not even sure the shrink staff thought that they were going to see in that area as far as summer testing and all that goes. And so I think that last year it was everyone getting acclimated to what Jerry Schmidt wants to bring back to Oklahoma. And this year, especially for those guys that are going through it the second year, feels like they were able to really make a lot of gains as far as both speed and strength because it's been something really consistent. Like Todd Bates talked about, we put on weight, and Jonah Laulu is faster. Grayson Halton put on weight, and he is more explosive. It's not just adding weight to add weight. It was good weight that the Sooners were able to add all offseason. Yeah, it's going it's to make a big difference um, in the fourth quarter of games this year. That This is my presumption. Again, I'm not breaking any news or anything. But I presume that good weight, that added 
that added weight, good weight, stronger weight uh, is going to make a difference in the fourth quarter of games. It's going to make a difference in November. Uh, maybe we'll see a more competitive fourth quarter team this year. Um, Ryan, uh, I'll say this uh, in terms of things that I noticed. DeMarco Murray is getting after the running backs. There was a drill where uh, I'm not going to name any names, but one of the runners comes through the the, um, the gauntlet. They got these things like this, and you got to run through them and not fumble the ball, right? You're supposed to tuck it and lower your head and and bam, 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 and then get through. One of the younger players slipped fell. And if you're watching on video, good on you. If you're not, I'll try to make the visual as we go. DeMarco standing there holding the dummy and he just glared and glared and glared at the player. Like, didn't say, are you okay? Didn't say, um, can I help you up? Didn't say, Hey, well, dummy, what are you doing slipping? He just stared at him, stared a hole right through him. <laughs> and then when he got back to the back of the line, he goes, go again. <laughs> it made him do it again. It was, it was the classic of like, hey, I feel like everyone's been there. I upset mom <laughs> and she didn't need to say anything. She just snapped that one look across the room yep. and you went, I want to recede into this couch because I know that when the family leaves, the rest of the family leaves or whatever, mom's going to walk over and be like, what were you thinking? And be like, I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking at all. Like it, it felt like that kind of just again, <laughs> do it again. I've had a, uh, when I was in high school, I had a coach stare at me like that. And it was literally the worst experience I had in, in high school football. Like I was injured. I got sick on somebody you know, I missed a tackle in a game that was a big, t- no, the worst experience I had was when my coach just put his hands on his hips and just stared at me. I was just like, Oh my God, I am dead. I'm dying in this moment. So <laughs> this is how we go. <laughs> yes. This is how it happens. Um, I haven't seen Ryan and I'm not disparaging anyone, but I haven't seen yet two, two practices, 40 minute sessions. So we're not like privy to like everything that's happening. Right. But my brief time out there, I haven't seen yet that, that alpha receiver. Is that fair? Haven't seen that guy emerge yet. And there's still plenty of time. It's August 9th. Um, They don't play for another three and a half weeks, but there's still plenty of time. But as of right now, I think that everybody's been looking for or hoping to find that that alpha receiver, that main guy. And, and and it's hard in practice because everybody's doing the same number of snaps and the same number of reps and the same number of drills. And so we don't get to see that, um, you know, that that moment in practice when somebody stands out in a one on one or somebody stands out in a, a team setting. But I think it's safe to say conservatively that. OU is still looking for their top receiver. Yeah, and and the stuff that we see, the the individual drills, all that. I, I doubt that we would be able to even really discern that, just because we're not watching the team periods where it's offense versus defense stuff like that. But you you see it in other position groups, right? The linebackers. Danny Stutzman's the first guy in line. Yes. If anyone has a question. He's he's modeling this is what a rep in this drill looks like. He's the one talking to those guys, all that stuff. And maybe it's just because the receivers are split into two lines. But I, I just haven't – we know that Drake Stoops is that kind of guy as far yep. as in practice, all that. 
I haven't seen the the other person that's like I'm stepping out. Like Jalil Farouk's going through the line first or whatever. But it, it seems like he's a guy that because he's having to make a leap himself. I, I think he's almost more worried about what do I need to do to make that leap as opposed to being able to at least in those limited moments be like I'm the guy. I'm going to show you how to do this and you how to do that. All of that. Um, Angel Anthony's looked really good when, when it comes to the couple of minutes I've stood over there and they do a little bit of contested, not against defensive backs, but other wide receivers providing that kind of resistance. But it, it, again, it just kind of goes, boils back to his arms are so long that though he's 6'1", I think he can almost play as if he's 6'3", because he has that extra length. Kind of if you're, if you're a Thunder fan, you know the... Sam Presti model of I get guys whose wingspan is larger than what it should be at their height. Anthony's one of those guys, but I don't know if that just means that he's going to be alpha dominant Oklahoma's next thousand yard receiver. Yeah. Um, I'll add this to, to what you're saying. Um, the one who somebody who looks different this year, and it's easy to say because last year he was a true freshman. He was a walk on. It's Gavin Freeman looks different walks different when you see an interview with him it sounds like he talks different you know what i mean he sounds like he's taken that not next step but like next four or five steps from freshman walk on local boy you know legacy player son of a former sooner to holy crap this kid could be the best receiver on the team that's what we're hearing out of the rest of the receiver court jaleel farouk and and others who are just talking nonstop about him gavin freeman is coming folks yeah, and it'll just be – it's kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that the the three guys I feel most confident about in that wide receiver room, Farouk, Stoops, and Freeman, I don't know if those are three guys that you can throw on the field at the same time, snap after snap after snap, just because of their size. You know what I mean? Like right. it would just be a very small, very fast, but very small wide receiver core. And so I think that's what partially makes some of it so much more fascinating if – one of those guys, if just one of those guys was like 6'3", then I think that people might feel a little bit better about that group. But because, not that Farouk is small by any means, but he, he's just not oversized or anything, and Freeman and Stoops are smaller guys stature-wise, I, I just think that makes it really, really interesting to see how it's going to play out because the three guys I feel best about coming back, I, I'm just not sure that you can throw that three on a string together all the time. Yeah, you're going to need some different body types and their different skill sets. And and I think that's where their versatility comes from. I think that's where their um, overall everybody's going to get involved a little bit to to some degree. Everybody's going to get involved uh, in the pass game this year. So um, I think that'll help. But I think right now you're talking, like I said, you don't have an alpha, but you've got uh, three kind of, I don't know if beta is the right word. That sounds like an offensive term. Uh, you've got your top three. You don't have your number one yet. But you've got your top three. I think that's a fair way to say it. You want to talk quarterbacks real quick? Um, Gabriel, Dylan Gabriel, and Jackson Arnold have no other way to say it, guys. They've absolutely set themselves apart from the rest of the crowd there uh, at preseason camp. When they throw a football, when they uh, drop back, deliver a ball, it just looks different than Davis Bevel, than General Booty, than. Jacob Switzer. It just does. That's where they're at. They've got their starter and they've got their backup. Yeah. And, and you just see it when you watch Jackson Arnold go through a drill and then Davis Bevel's right behind him, which by the way, Dylan Gabriel always goes first. Jackson Arnold always goes second. Davis Bevel always goes third. 
should be everything you probably need to know there. Uh, but when Gabriel goes through it, it's Jeff Levy's not having to make a ton of remarks about the footwork. He's not having to do all that. When Jackson Arnold goes through it, there are some, hey, your base was a little wide, stuff like that. But when the ball comes out, both of those guys, it has umph behind it, but there's some touch, especially when you're rolling out and just hitting what is basically a running back in the flat type thing. There's some touch. It puts it on the hip, all that stuff. That way, no one's turning up field and running, but a running back could. Davis Bevel just rolls out, and he just throws heaters. That's all he – there is no touch whatsoever, and you saw it in the Cotton Bowl, right? The short passing stuff they tried to give him to get going early was all just lightning bolt, flamethrower, like whatever. There was no touch, and there was no accuracy or anything, and it's the exact same. He looks like the exact same dude. Which is fine if that's your third-string quarterback who, who's got a bowl game he's played in, stuff like that. I just think it's really clear. You have a, a QB1, you have a QB2, there's a big gap, and then there's everybody else. Yeah, Davis Bevel has a big arm, and he uses it every time. He just he likes to, he likes to unleash it. Um, and I, I read something uh, like a comment on YouTube or Facebook or something somewhere. Somebody asked me a legit question, thought they were asking a legit question. I thought Davis Bevel moved to tight end. What? Why would Davis Bevel move to tight end? He is a quarterback. Um, no, he's not moving to tight end. He hasn't moved to tight end. As far as I know, he never even was asked about or thought about moving to tight end. He is the third string quarterback as of now. See what happens in General Booty's world. Speaking of tight ends. Um, wow. Go Bevel, does, Bevel yes. does have a whole game's worth of reps at wide receiver, though. So maybe that's where. <laughs> that's true. I forgot about that. Wildcat wide receiver. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know what Oklahoma's plan is for tight end, but Cade McIntyre coming back slow. Are, is it, No, Cade is the freshman. I'm yes. thinking Jason, Jason Llewellyn is coming back slowly from, from the injury. He's, he's on the field. Um, and then, uh, Caden Helms is who I'm thinking of the other freshman, uh, last year's freshman coming back from injury as well. Uh, don't know how long he's going to be out. Could be a, a prolonged thing. There's some, uh, there's some concern there. I think in the tight end room behind Austin Stogner behind, um, Blake Smith, um, you know, the designated blocker and behind Josh Faneuil, the basketball transfer, uh, that's kind of it. Cade McIntyre, the freshman out of Omaha or Fremont, uh, Nebraska, he um, he might find himself on the field this year out of necessity. There is no plan. The plan is Stogner better be healthy. It's yeah. simple as that. And Stogner's been a, an average tight end, right? Of all of the Mark Andrews, Grant Calcaterra, Braden Willis, Jeremiah Hall, Austin Stogner's the worst guy out of all of those as far as sustained production throughout what we've seen throughout his career. So he's got a big task ahead of him. There's a lot of stepping up he's going to have to do on top of just being healthy because, again, Blake Smith returns two career catches. He basically was struggling to get on the field. Him and Llewellyn are shuttling back and forth between the tight ends and the blocking drills with the offensive line during the individual drills. And I think that's how Oklahoma sees those guys as kind of the – physicality, blocking, can they factor in the running game? Absolutely. But I think it's as simple as there are no answers in the tight end room. It's, it's, it is as paper thin as Austin Stogner, and that's not Brain Willis out there, and it's not the quality of guys that have been rolled out there in the tight end room. 
don't know if I'd say Stogner's the worst. He's the least consistently productive. How about that? Would would you oh, take you gotta put a euphemism on for on the front of that? <laughs> would you take Stogner over any of those those Oklahoma guys? Andrews, Calcaterra, Jeremiah Hall, or Brain Willis? Because I, I would I would rather have all those guys before Austin Stogner. Um Hall as a fullback would be better served than as a tight end. Um, Stogner as a tight end would be better served than as a fullback. You know, I like Stogner. I think he's got a great upside. I really do. Six foot six, 250 pounds can get going down the field. Eventually. I just think that knee injury that, uh, that thigh injury he had really set him back. And of course, transferring to South Carolina for a year and coming back sets you back as well playing in a different offense, coming back, and it's a new coordinator. It's not the same guy. It's not Lincoln Riley. So he's had to make some adjustments. Uh, I like him overall as a player. Uh, If he gets that confidence back, you know, strutting down the field like he was that season when he got hurt, I think he'll be good. Better than all all those guys? Probably not. A lot of ifs. And uh, my my big contention with Stogner is that uh, go watch any time he played TCU against – uh, right, like good, good safety play. He he was not coming up and, and winning those contested catches over the middle. And I don't think he's going to be athletic enough to get away from guys. So unless he's being schemed open, he needs to have improved being able to play with contact at South Carolina. Just because, again, I I never liked him over the middle when he was getting hit when he was at Oklahoma, and that's when things were good with Spencer Rattler. Now, a couple of injuries in him, not the same guy physically. I just don't know where the optimism. I don't understand why Oklahoma was not more aggressive to get another option to catch passes in the because they were there, they were out there, and and they just feel like didn't pursue any other guys. He's going to have to catch thirty passes this year with that with that receiver core being green like they are. Uh, I think Stogner's going to have to catch a minimum of thirty. He might get fifty if he's if he's coming along like I like I would hope he has. Uh, and the progress that he's made, I would think that he's on the possible chart as the number three receiver in this offense to get 50 catches. We'll see. Good um, news is if yeah. if there is an injury or anything like that, I think that they're going to be plenty happy to throw the ball a ton to Javante Barnes and Gavin Sachuk. And if he's perfectly healthy, then you don't have to worry about the depth behind him because Willis was healthy last year. There wasn't any depth behind him last year, and it wasn't an issue because Willis was, was nice and healthy. So yep. I think there are ways either way to make that work. You remember I told you in the spring when Desan McCulloch, who looks like a, an Olympian, right? He looks like a decathlete. looks like he could go play any position on the field. Uh, they put him in the, the heavy linebacker drill and told him to strike this bag and, you know, lift it up all at, in one motion. And what he was doing is putting his hands on it and then stepping into it and then lifting it like, you know, like that. And they kept having to tell him, no, 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 no. Strike it on the way up. And he, he couldn't figure it out because he played safety, right? His in, in high school and stuff and some stuff that he did at, at Indiana. Well, the experience, the reason I tell you that story or repeat that story, the experience from guys that I saw who are new through the transfer portal, DeJean Terry and Rondell Bothroyd, they are not having those communication problems. When the coach says, strike that bag, they knock the hell out of that bag. Um, Again, we don't get to see the whole practice. We get to see little snippets here and there. Those guys, Bothroyd and and um, Dejon Terry, 
have shown in early practices their experience level and their willingness to step in and just mix it up. They look like they're ready to play right now. Right now. Yeah, and I hope we get to see a couple of padded practices because we, we were first couple of days they're in shorts and like the the thin shoulder pads and it's it's fine. I'd I'd like to see just how physical and aggressive that looks like when they're firing at those things during individual drills with the full force of the pads and everything. Yeah. Do you have any other observations you want to get to? The secondary looks really fast, really fast. And Gentry Williams, I think, is as fluid an athlete as I've seen back there the last couple of years. Peyton Bowen looks incredibly fluid. Billy Bowman doesn't look like labored or anything by the knee. And and then, you know, Reggie Pearson and Key Lawrence, they've looked about like we've seen Key Lawrence out in practice before, and Reggie Pearson looks like every bit of a, an experienced safety that despite learning a new defense doesn't sound like he's – there's not a lot of time where he's having to stand on the side of the field with – Brandon Hall and he's having to say no you need to do this that or the other thing so um, Brent Venables told us at that February media day when he talked about this defense being on a different planet the Mm -hmm. secondary was a big reason why it feels like it so far and and then you get guys like Woody Washington waxing poetic about Josiah Wagner and Makari Vickers yesterday It, it sounds like for the first time in a bit there's legitimate position battles going on at basically every spot in the secondary outside of maybe Woody Washington. And, and that can only be a good thing. Yeah. I'll, I'll end the segment with this, Ryan, the last couple of years under Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch and last year under Brent Venables, um, we would get to go to some small portions of, of practice or see some drills, or maybe we look at them in the spring scrimmage. And we come out of it and we go into August and we go into September thinking, those guys look really good. Those guys look really athletic. They look deep. They look fierce. They look fast. They look this. They look that. And we say the product on the field in November, at the end of November, start of December, it's 120th in the nation in whatever stat you want to see, right? So we're hearing that again. We've got better depth. They're bigger than they've been. They look fast. They look confident. They're experienced. They're this. They're that. I think there's a lot of student fans out there who are who are excited about what we're relaying to them, but I think there's also a number of pragmatic, once bitten, twice shy sooner fans who are saying, Yeah, let's see it not in September. Let's see it in October in the Cotton Bowl. Let's see it in November in, you know, wherever they're going in November, right? Let's see how physical they can be on fourth and one, right? Let's see how efficient they can be uh, on third and six from the seven yard line, right? That's what people want to see in terms of um, where this team is. We can talk them up. And I've said this a hundred times, Ryan, I've covered this team, as you know, for this is my 20th, 20th season. This is my 20th season to cover OU football. I've said this a hundred times. This team looks good. They look strong. They look ready to play. Let's just wait until September, maybe late late September, early October, before we know for sure. We can say what we think we know, but we don't really know. And and this year, unfortunately, if this team is going to take steps forward on the field, it should look routine in the first five games until Texas because the non-con is, is bad because Georgia got taken off because conference stuff. Cincinnati has one scholarship player back, a pretty good defensive lineman uh, in Corleo. But other than that, it's Satterfield coming in, inheriting a new roster. Iowa State, 
should have really solid defense, maybe not the top in town of Will McDonald, but Heacock's been incredible, right, since he's been at Iowa State. But you you know what that looks like. That's not overwhelming. That's more patience and intelligence over and over and over again, executing offensively and then defensively. Who knows what's going on because the, the Decker situation. And then it's Texas. So mm-hmm. this one is one of the things that, hey – Whatever happens in the non-con, I don't think you're going to have any beat writers really freaking out because it's like everyone thought the defense was a lot better in the non-con last year, and then it was awful. Uh, that might carry over because I'm not sure that Cincinnati is going to be Kansas State good, and I can tell you right now, Iowa State is not going to be as good as TCU was last year to expose Oklahoma in those first two conference games. Iowa State's just really gambling with their quarterback situation right now. They are indeed. They might yeah. try to parlay that into some future success at Northwestern maybe for Matt Campbell. Very nice. Ryan, good stuff as always, man. Thanks for jumping on. Absolutely. We'll see you. All right. Uh, Coming up next on the show, Randall Sweet's going to join us. We're going to talk a lot of recruiting plus Randall's camp observations. Yeah, Camp Randall, right? How great is that? Camp Randall's observations. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. We're back. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast. And, of course, if you like the, the All Sooners podcast, just drop us a rating. Five stars are the best. Hit us up. Five-star rating. Come on. Team five-star. Team all-star. All Sooners. Um, if you like us and share us on social media, we will like you as well a lot a, a lot a lot and uh, if you're watching us on youtube like subscribe leave us a comment share those videos on on youtube really helps our mission here at all sooners which of course is all sooners that's our mission uh randall's in now randall sweet joining us we're going to talk about recruiting in just a second but first randall Welcome. I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, the couple of practices that you've been out there. You've you've had the big camera. You've been up close in some of those drills practically. You got your hand on the ground almost. Mm-hmm. Tell us about uh, some of the things that you've seen. Yeah, well, I, I've really, really enjoyed getting to, to be up close and personal, you know, next to the coaches and players. Really, it helps to see how these coaches are coaching each of those players. You know, we're used to seeing Brent Venables, the calm and composed, you know, guy at the podium, but you know, when it's great to see the other side of him practice, you know, dropping F-bombs and chewing, chewing into his players, you know, just, just like he's supposed to, you know, just like you'd expect from any college coach. I, I really enjoy um, see, seeing that, that uh, how the players get coached and, and you know, the, the players seem to, seem to enjoy that, that style of coaching from everything we hear. What I've really noticed is um, the offensive line group, Bill Biedenboe seems to love him some Tyler Guyton. I mean, it's hard not to. The guy's 6'3", 6'7", 330 pounds about. I mean, he moves really well. He doesn't look out of shape. He looks great. I mean, I've seen NFL scouts uh, watching the offensive line group both days that we've been at practice, and I have to imagine that they're taking a peek at uh, Tyler Guyton. Really, really like what uh, what he could become this year. He's a really good athlete. He started a lot of games last year, and again, from – 
from the way he's taken the coaching from Bill Biedenboe, from some of the other, um, you know, GAs and other uh, assistant coaches out there, he he really seems like he's he's honed in, he's focused. Uh, not that he wasn't last year, but you know, now as a full time starter, he really seems like he's uh, he's taken that next step, and he could be one of the best players on that offensive line from what I've seen. Um, I, I really love again to see Bill Biedenboe kind of getting after his guys. Um, you know. From again, uh, that offensive line group, it looks like uh, they have a lot of depth, which is something that we might not have predicted at the end of last season. But now, you know, heading into this new season, it looks like they've got a pretty solid two groups there. I mean, even aside from that starting five, which, you know, uh, Levy named four of those five at the OU Media Days. Um, right now, it looks like Savion Bird's getting a lot of those uh, reps in at left guard, uh, and he's looked really good too. So, you know, when you take the four that Levy named, which was Matower, Raim, Guyton, and Rouse, combined with Bird. That's a pretty good uh, starting five. And then behind that, you know, you've got Troy Everett, who's a transfer from Appalachian State, who has looked really good. You've got Caleb Schaefer. He's a veteran, transfer from Miami of Ohio. Nate Anderson, he's been with the program for a long time. Then you've got some young guys. You've got uh, Jake Taylor and Caden Green. And those two guys have looked phenomenal. I mean, uh, Taylor is a, uh, I think, true sophomore, redshirt freshman. I'm not sure exactly what his eligibility status is there, but second year with the program. And Green has looked outstanding for a true freshman. I mean, he's big, he's physical. He does not look like he just got here, you know. Um, and for him to already be taking reps with the second team, and that doesn't even count Aaron Parks. That doesn't even count uh, Sexton, who's still hurt. I think that offensive line unit could be really strong, really deep this year and next year. Uh, and then another thing that I've noticed watching tight ends is that Austin Stogner looks like he is in phenomenal shape. I mean, even better than when he left OU. He looks bigger. He looks or bigger in, in his upper body, in his arms, his chest, slimmer in the stomach. I think that I think that he could have a year that OU really needs at the tight end room, in the tight end room, especially considering some of the injuries and how thin and inexperienced that position is. Ryan will be very happy to hear your assessment on Austin Stogner <laughs> as we just went through. Uh, when you watch this back later on, or Andrew, you'll know what I'm talking about. We just went through the tight ends, and uh, <laughs> Ryan didn't have a glowing uh, observational opinion of uh, of one Austin Stogner. I think he's going to be good. I think he's going to have a good senior year, and I think he's going to go into the NFL next year. As for Guyton, let me just say this. If Guyton blocks somebody this year, not that he didn't last year, I'm just saying as he develops into the starter, if he blocks anybody this year, if he decides to put his hand in the ground and mess somebody up, right, or can can keep guys off of Dylan Gabriel's blindside left-hander, right, yep. he'll be a first-round pick. Yep. He yep. has that kind of athletic ability, that kind of um, frame, that yep. kind of uh, upside. He'll be a first-rounder, a minimum second-rounder. So, I so we'll see. But I'm with you on the rest of the offensive line. I think they've uh, I think they've had a good camp. I think Bill Biedenboe, as we all know, is always looking for more. So mm -hmm. don't be surprised to see some young guys get up in there like a Jake Taylor, like like you talked about. Um, not much to report on recruiting-wise this week, Randall. Last week we talked about five commits. Yeah. This week, only one. Liam Evans, kicker from Moore, a kicker, got a scholarship offer and has committed to OU. Yeah, I mean, this is a kid with a strong leg. We've seen him produce really well at some of those Coles kicking camps, which is kind of the uh, – the premier kicking uh, scouting authority in uh, high school sports. Um, but I think he's rated the number seven place kicker in the nation. Um, for their goals kicking. So it's always great when you can get one of those guys in. I mean, 
in the past, we've seen OU have, uh, you know, kind of a checkered past with some of their kickers recently, at least. I mean, you know, Zach Schmitz had some really high highs and some really low lows uh, in his time with the Sooners. Before that, we saw, you know, Gabe Burkich kind of a tale of two halves with him, you know. Great start to his career and couldn't necessarily finish as strong as the Sooners needed him to. And before that, even Austin Cyber, again, a great career with the Sooners. But even then, there's a, f- a few few moments there that I'm sure he would like to have back in his career. So uh, Liam Evans joining that uh, that lineage. Um, you know, a few of those guys have ended up in the NFL. Now the Sooners actually have a special teams coach, which they didn't have for uh, in their previous regi- regime, which is uh, interesting. That has to have to has to help get some of those better kickers. Has to help develop some of those guys, um, but. You know, when you get a, a local kid who grew up going to OU games, that's really going to help the culture of the program. And, you know, there's really um, really nothing bad that can come from that. Uh, hopefully Lincoln Riley is watching. As uh, you mentioned, Jay Nunez being the full-time special teams coach. Uh, he's technically an analyst. But, yeah, that was the last question ever asked <laughs> to Lincoln Riley was, are you going to hire a special teams coach? The answer, No. no. <laughs> and then he got up and he went to USC like five hours later. Uh, and that was my question because their special teams were so terrible in 2021, uh, especially late in the season, especially in that Oklahoma State game. So punt. You, you could t- that's one of the reasons, that's one of the real telltale reasons you could tell Lincoln was dialed out was he didn't give a crap about special teams. His mind was on the offense. Alex has got the defense. I think we're going to be okay. Uh, who cares what happens on special teams? Anyway, I've gone down a rabbit hole and gotten off on a tangent. Let's get us back on track, Randall. Um, you see a new tweet today, a new whatever rivals future cast or forecast or podcast or whatever it is. Will Nwaneri, yeah. leaning toward Oklahoma now. He was leaning toward Missouri. What's <laughs> I'm so confused. Um, I, I really, my, my sense is this, I don't cover recruiting very closely. And so all you recruiting guys are going to say, shut up, Uber. Fine. My sense is this. He's not been really leaning one way or the other. He's been taking in all the information. He's been gathering all the data, all the NIL opportunities, right? All the, um, conversations from the coaching staffs and he's looked at his at his opportunities and he said to his family or to his best 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 friends right i like oklahoma man i went on a visit i went on my fifth or sixth visit to oklahoma i really like oklahoma or he comes back from columbia man i really like missouri coach drink has got it going on i really think they're going to be good in the sec something like that i don't think he's actually calling people and saying this week Leaning toward Oklahoma this week, leaning toward Missouri. I, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, Randall. Help us out. What do you think? I, I think that you're spot on. I think that right now, maybe even he doesn't know what the right answer is. I think that, and, and that's not a knock on him. I mean, I think many of us in these in a similar situation would struggle to make a decision. I mean, you have I to. I wouldn't think, know what to do. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the top players in all of America. He's given. He's been given the opportunity to go play and take his talents basically wherever he wants. I mean, and one of those opportunities is he can stay home. He can stay really close to home and be, you know, the star player at Missouri. He can make a lot of NIL money. He can be the centerpiece there, and that has to be appealing for anyone. I mean, you're close to your family. You're, you know, close to your high school friends. You're the center of an SEC defense. You're going to be making a lot of NIL money. 
But then there's also Oklahoma, where his high school coach went, where he has some really, really good relationships with some of the coaches. And, you know, he's seen that these guys put players into the NFL. I mean, last just last year, OU grabbed P.J. Adebowale out of Kansas City, which is also where Edwin Aries from. So, you know, the relationships that he has at OU seem to be one of the real strong points. And things like that usually um, carry a lot of weight. Again, I don't think that right now anybody really knows the answer. I think that this is going to be something that probably goes back and forth between slight OU lean, slight Missouri lean, back and forth all the way up until the night before the morning of his commitment. And like you said, it might be something where he tells his parents or his closest friend or his high school coach, you know, what he's feeling that day, or, you know, he hears something from one a coach at OU or a coach at Missouri and he, you know, reaches out and says, oh, yeah, I really liked hearing this. Uh, but when the when the race is this close, anything he says to someone like me, a recruiting analyst or something like that, is going to be construed by fans, by whoever, as information that's, that's leading towards that decision, which it might not be. It might just be him talking, you know? Um, and so it might be, like you said, him taking in all the information. I think that right now OU sits in a really good spot, and I think this rivals future cast that we've seen um, from a video editor at uh, Rivals um, indicates that OU is in a really good spot. But if that changes and it flips back to Missouri within the next, you know, three, four, five, let's see, how many days away is he? Yeah, three, four, five days from now, then that wouldn't be shocking either. I, I think that it's. Two, I know it sounds crazy to say five days out. I think it's too early to tell exactly anything concrete. But again, I think that OU sits in a good spot. And right now it's all about closing and just, you know, really, really um, cementing the relationships with the coaching staff at Lee Summit North and at OU and cementing the relationships between the OU coaching staff and Winnery and his family specifically. I think that is really, really going to go a long way for them. And if they can continue to do that, continue to close strong, then I don't see any reason why on Monday they wouldn't land a commitment from him. But again, things can change so quickly. I mean, this is, he could hear one thing from Missouri tomorrow and his mind could be changed. And we don't even know if OU actually is where he's leaning right now. It's just what it appears to be. So, Randall, we've heard August 1st, that didn't happen. August 7th, that didn't happen. Um, August 14th is now the latest official yeah. date that he's going to commit. Is that right? Yep. That's, that's, uh, what it looks like. The underclassmen report, uh, even, even made, a made a post about that yesterday. Uh, it seems like, it seems like he's pretty ready for that. And you have to think again, with as tough of a decision as this is for him, as back and forth as it seems like he's going, you have to assume that he wants this to be, to be over. You know, he's about to be a senior in high school. He probably wants to just know that he's got a home settled that he's got fans to go back to and he can just go play his senior year go focus on that one last ride with his high school teammates you and i played high school football so we know there's nothing like that senior year that last ride that last time on the bus that last time you know lacing up your cleats putting on the pads there's literally nothing like it and i i was in high school five years ago but even now i miss i'm like man i wish i could go back and strap up the pads play football and i'm sure I'm sure that it's like that with everyone. So he doesn't. I'm. I'm sure he doesn't want to have to focus on, you know, pleasing a fan base, making a decision too much for a senior year. I'm sure he's excited to get this decision out of the way. And you have to think it helps that in the 2025 class, OU has one of his teammates committed, 
And in the 2023 class, they also landed one of his teammates, Caden Green. Um, so that combined with his head coach, Jamar Mazee, playing at OU, you have to think that OU, again, is in a really good situation. But you never know officially until uh, until the ink hits, until the pen hits the paper, right? I played football for four years, Randall. One of those years was in Alaska, and I still have dreams. Years ago, we're talking 30, 40 years ago now, I still have dreams about playing football. So it once it's in your bloodstream, once it's in your DNA, man, geez, it doesn't get out. I can't imagine what like somebody like a Joe Thomas who just went into the Pro Football oh Hall of Fame, God. played football his entire life, built a career, built a very promising and, and lucrative and and rewarding career. And how do you, how does he sleep at night? You know, seriously, like not that he did anything wrong, but it's it's like you wake up and you're like, ah, oh, football. You just dream about it. It's yep. it literally rewires your brain, especially when you're asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, rewires your brain to say you're not done playing football. You still must play. And and, and Joe Thomas was the Iron Man, the guy who never missed games Absolutely. either. So so yeah. you know that that's he's waking up thinking, oh man, I missed a block or something like that. <laughs> we got a game this week. No yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to practice. Mm-hmm. I'm late for film study. Yeah. Yes. Yes. True. Okay, um, Will Nuaneri, yep. coming to OU. You made your prediction, right? <laughs> no, you didn't? Well, I mean, I think right now, based off of what we know, I would predict that he commits to OU. Again, if that changes, I would not be surprised. And I would say that right now, it's maybe 51% OU, 49% Missouri. It's that close type of thing. But if I had if I had to pick right now, I would, I would pre- predict OU, yes. We need some kind of uh, some kind of clever terminology for what your prediction is. Not a crystal ball that's already taken. Uh, not a future cast that's already taken. Maybe like a no, 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 is already taken. Mike Gundy entertained this last week with his uh, Notre Dame predictions. That was yeah. hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty funny. We need something though. We need something. I, we'll try to come up with some kind of. Paul Sooner says, <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with something. So we're on the D-line. We're talking D-line. Um, got some commit dates. Yeah. Not commitments, but, de- yeah, I guess commitments. Um, but the, the dates that they're committing, we got those lined up. Yeah. And there's three big ones in addition to Nguyenary. Uh, there's three big ones. Dominic McKinley out of Louisiana. Nigel Smith out of Bucky's, Texas. I mean, Melissa, Texas. <laughs> and uh, David Stone out of uh, IMG Academy via Dell City. So, what do you know on those guys? Listen, if Oklahoma can land, we've talked about this before. We've gone down this rabbit hole. If Oklahoma can land two of those guys, that's a hell of a class. If Oklahoma can land one of those guys, big boost. Two, hell of a class. Three, unbelievable. And then four, it's like program changing. Yes. Literally program changing for the future. I mean, just off that, if you can land all four of those guys, that's like a Georgia-level recruiting class. I mean, the way that Georgia's yeah. able to just – swing in talented, high-rated defensive lineman every snap. You know, one five-star goes out, another one rotates in. That's the type of stuff that o- Oklahoma could be, you know, throwing out there if they're able to land all four of those guys. Um, so the first on that on that commitment list is actually Oklahoma City area native, David Stone. Um, best friends with Michael Patterson McDonald, who committed last week. So that's a huge boost for OU. And it, it, seems, like, it seems like OU um, is, again in a really good spot with David Stone. Um, it doesn't, I don't think it necessarily helps that he is uh, an IMG Academy kid. 
uh, playing in in Florida now, uh, and two of his top six schools are in Florida, Miami and the University of Florida. Um, that, that might make it challenging for OU, but I think that um, the fact that he's from Oklahoma City, uh, you know, he his family is here. Uh, one of his best friends in the class is committed here. I think that will end up um, reigning, or holding more weight than, you know, uh, the schools in Florida, just because, um, you know, there, there's not that the history, um, the extensive history of him, you know, growing up there, you know, uh, Michael told the story of they met playing eight year old football in Dell City. Uh, he doesn't have the connections like that necessarily going in Florida at Miami at University of Florida like he does at OU. Um, and so the Sooners, Brent Venables, they're, Todd Bates, they're really, really going to have to lean on that and off of their track record in the past. I mean, um, again, it's he's been on campus a lot. Uh, you know, he was on campus uh, multiple times over the summer. I saw it firsthand with my own eyes. I literally saw him there with Michael. Um, and so, again, that he, you have to think that OU has shown and told him everything at this point that they can. And now it's more about just, you know, keeping the bug in his ear of, hey, you know, OU's here. The relationships you have with our coaching staff, some of the players on this team, we're here. Um, you know, Xavier Robinson even mentioned David Stone as a guy that he was trying to recruit back whenever he committed in late June. So, you know, this is a guy that guaranteed that the, the OU commits in the 2024 class have been working on. Uh, the OU coaches, they've shown him everything that they can. You know, this is a guy who's, again, I can't stress enough, he's from Oklahoma City. Those those relationships are what's really, really uh, keeping OU in the mix. Um, and so, again, as long as, as long as those relationships are still at OU, it seems like the Sooners are going to have a great shot uh, in landing stone. And that'll be on August 26th. August 26th is that commitment date, which is Saturday. Um, that's the date that uh, IMG Academy plays St. Joseph's Prep, which is a really good uh, school in um, Philadelphia. Um, they're flying down to Florida to play IMG Academy. That game will be on ESPN2. So I would imagine that Stone will be committing live on the broadcast before the game, at halftime, after oh. the game, at some point uh, during that broadcast. But um, definitely one to watch for Sooners fans. If OU is able to land Stone, even if even if Enwinary ends up going to Missouri, if you're able to land Stone, which is a five-star defensive lineman, one of the top 15 players in the class, you have to think that it really um, – kind of heals OU fans of that hurt from, uh, you know, Hicks and uh, some of these other past um, defensive linemen that seemed to be in the bag and ended up going elsewhere. Uh, McKinley? Yeah, uh, Dominic McKinley, really talented uh, defensive lineman from Louisiana. Um, this is, it's never easy to go into the state of Louisiana and steal a high profile recruit away from LSU. I mean, not just for OU, but regardless of the school, LSU has that area on lockdown. That's one thing that they do really, really, really well is recruit the top players in their state. And Louisiana has a lot of them. There's a lot of really good players that come out of there. Um, and McKinley is no different, but it really seems like um, Todd Bates and the relationships that he's built at OU or, um, with Dominic McKinley at OU are going to be what what weighs out in the end. Um, it seems it seems like from everything I'm hearing that McKinley actually um, is leaning towards OU, not Louisiana, not LSU. Uh, I know that LSU had I think a defensive line coach maybe step down due to health concerns. I, I don't want to talk 
specifically on that because I don't know the exact specifics. But from what I understand, I think they had a coach uh, either take a step back or step aside um, due to some health concerns. And so um, not that that's anything against LSU, but if that's the coach that you're really tied to, that's been recruiting you really heavily, he's no longer there. And you still have this coach that you really believe in that's built great relationships with you at OU uh, in Todd Bates, if you're Dominic McKinley, um, that I think bodes really well for the Sooners. And again, I can't stress enough how the relationship building um, skills of Todd Bates, of Brent Venables, of this whole staff really, really go a long way. And every rec- with every recruit I've talked to, and this includes Nigel Smith, who we'll get to in a second, they love the personability and the attention that the OU coaching staff pays them, not only as football players, but as people. Every recruit that I've talked to, that's one thing that stands out to them about OU is that they say the coaches have have their backs. They care about them more than just on the football field, but as, you know, as young men, as people, as, you know, future professionals, things like that. They they really go, the OU coaching staff does a better job than most other coaching staffs of preparing you for life outside of football and making sure that even while you're there, your life outside of football is as good as it can be. And um, I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily surprising when you look at um, what they what these coaches say outwardly. But I think it's really refreshing to know that at least coming from the recruits, that that sentiment is echoed within the facility, too. It's not just a facade. It's not just for appearance. Um, And that that really uh, comes to fruition in the soul mission, other things like that. Um, And so I think that those relationships with Smith, with Stone, with McKinley and with Enwineri along with the NFL track record of Miguel Chavis, of Brent Venables, of Todd Bates. I think those things together are really what's going to carry them. And to get back to McKinley specifically, I think those things will really carry them in his recruitment if they are able to land a commitment from them, which I would expect right now. And Nigel Smith, I I, I don't think there's any question uh, in my mind right now that that he would be uh, an OU lean. I would be honestly really surprised on... Again, things can change, and I don't want to. Yeah, there's say, a question because Texas A&M's involved. Right, right. I, I don't want to say that. I, I I guess question that right now. He really likes OU is a better way to put it. Um, I I would be I would be surprised, not shocked, but I would be surprised if on September eighth, um, it wasn't OU just because uh, when I talked to him, he really really loved the Soul Mission. He said that that was what. When I ask him what stands out about OU, that was the first thing out of his mouth was the sole mission, was yeah. how much Brent Venables cares about his players, how much Todd Bates has you know gone out of his way to show you know that, and and when when we talked to Todd Bates at Big Twelve media, uh, OU Media Day, he said uh, one thing he you know he he wants his players, his recruits, he wants them to know Todd Bates' family, you know he he wants to show that like hey I trust you you know I you know you're going to be sitting on the floor with my kids, you know, because if, if you're sitting on the floor with my kids, you know, I trust you, you know, you're someone that I want to let in to, you know, to my life that I want to make part of my family. And I think that that, you know, with high school kids, that can be overstated how important that is and how much that means. Having someone who's going to have your back, who's going to, you know, take their time to, to make sure that on the football field, everything's going well off the football field, in class, in life, everything's going well. You know, they build great relationships with parents, um, you know, all sorts of things like that. Um, so, again, I've, I've probably sounded like a broken record talking about relationships, how the staff operates. But I think in the, the, the recruitment of these four high-profile defensive linemen, 
that's what's really kept OU in the battle. And I think that with Nigel Smith, ultimately, that'll be the reason if he does commit to OU, which I would expect um, that he ends up a Sooner. But you mentioned a and I think that um, the NIL situation that they have, we know that that's uh, worked in their favor in a lot of recruiting battles in the past. And uh, he didn't mention NIL to me, but you know, knowing that uh, that they have that, that can't, that's, I don't think it's a deterrent. Um, and what he mentioned was the atmosphere of college football in College Station. Um, and I mean, that stadium holds, I think, 110,000 fans. I mean, it can't be can't be understated the the environment there um, in College Station at Kyle Fieldhouse. Um, and, you know, I think he said he's got some friends who play at A&M, things like that. So there, there's definitely um, some reason to believe that um, A&M is a co- contender for sure, no doubt. Um, I think you were right to say it's always a question when A&M's in the mix. Uh, but I think that um, the on-field success the track record with the coaching staff and the relationships that OU has built will ultimately reign supreme and beat out uh, anything that AM can offer. Yeah, AM gets those uh, NIL bag men involved at the 11th hour, and all of a sudden recruiting can, can flip really quick. Um, yeah. I'll tell you this we keep talking about these same four guys every week because, frankly, they're program changing guys. Uh, specifically, as Oklahoma transitions into the SEC, you need guys like this on your roster. If you don't have guys like this on your roster, guess what? You're not going to win the SEC. national championship and SEC championship. Simple as that. So you got to get these guys, uh, and we'll see how Oklahoma does. It's cut. It's uh, it's come down to this. It's come down to the next three weeks. Yes, we're going to figure it out. Three weeks to four weeks, we're going to know who's going where, or at least who's committed verbally to going where and uh, who's not. So uh, we'll see. Offensively, we got some names to get to as well, Randall. Uh, Caden Durham with the triple tweet today, the triple header tweet today, just about an hour ago, actually. Um, well, let's start there. Some kind of uh, – there's there's like – he put out three tweets for his top three, basically, one, one of him in a uniform from each of his top three schools. But only one of those schools, only one of those tweets had the word hashtag home in it. Yes. And um, so he posted a picture of him at the, um, oh, man, I think it was the Champion Barbecue in June, uh, where they're in the stadium. They've got the cool uh, anthracite gray uniforms on, all that stuff. Hashtag home, like you said. Then he posted a picture of him literally less than a minute later in LSU gear. Uh, and the, the caption, I think, said boot baby. And then the next, the next one was a picture of him in the Texas A&M uniform with just the, the thumbs up emoji. Um, so I think that everyone right now would, would uh, acknowledge that um, OU and LSU are really the leaders there. The hashtag home, that might be attributed to the fact that he's from Moore. Uh, this is a kid who, again, grew up in the Oklahoma City area, played at Southmore actually until I think he was a 10th grader when he transferred down to Duncanville. Um, uh, so his mom, his mom are in track at OU actually uh, in her college days. So uh, when he says home, that might be what he means is that this feels Oklahoma feels like home. You know, he's from here. His mom went to OU, uh, and that that bodes really well for OU. That that cannot be um, underestimated at all. I think that um, while it may not be the deciding factor, it definitely is something that OU can uh, play into. Um, but I think that uh, for the Sooners, it's going to be really hard to convince a running back of that caliber to commit in a class that already has two running back commits, one who ran for 
like 2,600 yards and 40 touchdowns last year in 5A Oklahoma football, local kid, Xavier Robinson. Then they also have the, the number one running back in the nation, five-star Taylor Tatum. Um, you know, for, again, another high-profile top 10 running back in the country like Durham, you might not want to go into a running back class where you're not the centerpiece, where you're not the main guy. Um, and that, that might be what ultimately takes OU out of this recruiting battle for Durham. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, would definitely not write OU out of the battle yet. And I think that right, right now it's still 50-50. I, I would, um, if you're an OU fan, I, I wouldn't, I would not, I, I would definitely tune in to his decision just in case, because I don't, I don't think anyone really knows what's going to happen. I think he's a guy who loves the recruiting process. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, I would love the recruiting process if I was a top 10 running back in America too, without a doubt. Um, so I think that he's just taking it all in kind of, um, you know, celebrating the last few days of um, life being an uncommitted uh, recruit where he can kind of get that attention from all the positive attention from all the fan bases. Um, but uh, he commits, I think, tomorrow at 2 p.m. on 24 yep. 7 Sports YouTube channel or CBS right. Sports YouTube channel. I'm not exactly sure, but one of those YouTube channels. We'll be watching. Uh, with, yes, I'll definitely be watching. With his, uh, with his teammate, Colin Simmons. Am I right on the? I think I'm. I think that's his name. Um, he's a. Uh, there's a. I, I I always confuse him and Chad Simmons, who's a another recruiting guy. But I think Colin Simmons is the uh, is the linebacker from from Duncanville. Um, again, big time five star guy. Uh, so he's set to make his decision uh, simultaneously. Um, and right now, it looks like they'll probably both end up in uh, in uh, at LSU. But again. OU's not out of the fight, and I don't think that they – I don't think OU has stopped picking up the phone and calling. I'll put it okay. like that. Um, another skill position guy, Jaden Nickens, wide receiver out of Millwood. Uh, I watched him in some seven-on-seven seven stuff earlier this spring. Holy cow, can that kid play? Yes. He plays for – in addition to the team that he was playing for here in Broken Arrow, he plays for uh, a national team out of Miami. I can't remember their name, but they're very um, – very obviously um, high profile seven on seven team. They fly him from Oklahoma city to Miami and then they play a seven on seven tournament or wherever that team happens to be playing. He's one of those national team players on, in the seven on seven circuit. Uh, very impressive young man, 2025 wide receiver. Yeah, this is a, this is a four-star recruit. I think he's one of the top like 120 players in the country, uh, depending on what service recruiting service you're looking at. But regardless of, you know, the, the recruiting numbers, this, like you said, this is a kid who can flat out make plays. I think he actually started his high school sports career as a basketball player. Um, so he's about six foot two, six, three, six, four taller end for a receiver. But if you watch his play style, you can absolutely see that basketball, um, the, the basketball background show up. He is great at just going up and getting the ball, attacking it out of the air great vertical ability can really just jump up over a defensive back long arms he's fast he can run by people this is a guy that a great athlete great playmaker who probably still has a lot of room to grow as a receiver which is impressive um when like you said we've already seen what he can do he was at the brent venables elite camp earlier this summer um i've talked to him in the past and he he kind of talked about that relationship of you know millwood athletes uh going to ou i think marcus major is a is a Millwood product himself, so um, there is some connection there. And uh, he was at OU, I think, last week or maybe two weeks ago. Um, not for one of those big party at the Palace type recruiting events, but actually on a solo visit. 
Uh, he, he and his family got to visit with uh, Emmett Jones, the OU coaching staff, on their own. It seems like he had a really great time. And, um, you know, coming out of that, I would, I would really, really expect that, um, that he commits to OU on Saturday. Um, and that, that's going to be a huge boost for their 2025 class, which will have now three four-star receivers in the 2025 yeah. class. Uh, you know, that's Grayson Harris from NS Texas, and now that's two, if Nickens does end up committing, that'd be two OK preps four-star wide receivers in Elijah Thomas and Jaden Nickens, both in the 2024 class, both over six feet tall, both great athletes, explosive playmakers. I mean, with Kevin Sperry uh, already, you know, kind of leading the charge in that recruiting class, you have to like uh, where that's looking, especially if they do end up getting a commitment from Nickens on Saturday. I think some of the other schools he's considering, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, so, so some other big-time programs, but uh, from what I understand, none of those uh, schools have been have built the relationship, have um, done as much to cultivate um, that relationship and and maintain it as OU has, which, again, for a local product, a kid who probably grew up watching OU football, yep. that, that can't um, can't be overstated how important that is. Jeff Levy got his 2025 quarterback, then he got his 2024 quarterback, then he added another 24 quarterback. Um, DeMarco Murray might have three running backs in the 24 class, uh, but has anybody – has anybody on that staff done the kind of work that Emmett Jones has done? That's all Oklahoma needs is, is another four-star receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Right now people are saying, we got enough receivers. We need some defensive backs. We need some defensive ends, that kind of thing, linebackers, whatever. Yeah. But uh, who knows? Who knows what's next? Um, but, I, but I do think that Emmett Jones and DeMarco Murray especially are kind of elevating the curve for the rest of that staff. When it comes to recruiting, one final name we'll talk about is uh, Andy Bass. His commitment date is coming up. Heritage Hall quarterback. Sooners aren't going to put him at quarterback, but they could put him any, literally anywhere else. Yeah. Um, the kid is unbelievably talented, 5'11", 200, and he looks, uh, he just is an impressive looking athlete every time you see him. Yeah. I mean, this, so you mentioned the size. I don't, if you just hear those numbers, it sounds like typical high school running back t- stuff. But you have to actually see the physical makeup of yep. him. He is yep. he is cut. He is defined. He is really muscular in his upper and his lower body. Uh, this is a kid you can tell does not uh, take the weight room lightly. He take he's obviously works very hard um, in the weight room on the track. I mean, he was the Oklahoma State champion in the hundred meter dash. He ran a ten five six at two hundred pounds. So, I mean, that's really, really impressive. Versatile, versatile athlete. Um, I watched him at the Brent Venables Elite Camp personally, and um, he did some running back drills, looked great doing all that. I mean, with, with as big as he is, the ball in his hand, it just looks natural. Uh, and then they put him at slot wide receiver to run some one-on-one stuff. And let me tell you, he ran by everybody. These defensive backs, all he had to do was run an out and up, and they had no chance. He was running right by them. There was one play where the guy even grabbed his arm, and all he did was just reach out and make a one-handed catch in the end zone, 40 yards downfield. Um, he's, he said that DeMarco Murray is his primary recruiter, um, so you have to think that he would be playing a lot in the running back room, which makes sense, you know, primarily a quarterback at Heritage Hall. Um, the vision's kind of similar, you know, the way you're looking from behind the offensive line and things like that. Um, but he's also said that the OU coaching staff has talked about his versatility and how that could be an asset. I mean, I mentioned what he did at the Brent Venables Elite Camp. I think that they saw that and said, well, hell, we'll split you out at wide receiver. We'll play you there some. I mean, they've told him that in goal line situations, short yardage stuff, he could be playing quarterback, which you have to like the sound of that. I mean, this is a guy who's got experience doing it, and he's got the size to just 
put his shoulder down and run through some guys. Um, so if they are able to get him, I think the other two schools in his top three are Kansas State and Syracuse. If OU is able to get him, that would be a huge boost. While I think he would be in the running back room, it's a guy who would overall add a lot to the class because he can play running back. He can split out and you know in the slot. He can be a gadget quarterback guy. Just really more than if when you know you know when you're looking at positional rankings in high school and you see that the ATH that athlete tag. I think Andy Bass is the perfect um, player to describe that athlete tag because he really does it all. Um, you know, if he didn't play quarterback at Heritage Hall, he'd probably be playing defense too, and he'd probably be pretty good at it. Um, so, you know, if if they are able to get a commitment from him, you can never have enough of those versatile guys who fill a number of roles. And again, anytime you can bring in a local product, a kid who probably grew up watching OU football, it really helps build the culture of the program. I mean, Gavin Freeman was another Heritage Hall guy who was a freshman last year. You know, you continue to build that pipeline. Heritage Hall has had plenty of OU and other college football players come through. I think Wes Welker is a Heritage Hall guy, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, so, you know, you know him, now Gavin Freeman. There's t- I'm definitely missing tons of players between the two. But uh, this, is a, this is, again, uh, if they're able to get Bass, good, good for the 2024 class, good for future classes, uh, and just – it, seems, it would be a very solid uh, get. Like you said, he's going to make someone very happy with the versatility, the athleticism, and his hard work, the attitude he has. I think it all fits really well with, uh, with Brent Venables and with, with OU. Yeah, you're right. Um, Shep, went to Heritage Hall. Ah, okay. uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to the All Sooners podcast. We'll be back next week. And, of course, you can catch that one and all of our shows Everywhere you catch your podcast, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, anywhere you listen to your podcast, we are there. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on your player and listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And, of course, all of our shows posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. For Ryan Chapman, for Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.